Hi, welcome. This is Dr. John Demartini. This is one of the most amazing and inspiring shows that you can listen into. If you want to be on the edge of your seats, if you want to open up your heart, if you want to expand your mind, and you want to meet incredible people, stay tuned because you're just about to experience a transformative radio show that will change your life. And you're listening to the Dr. Pat Show is coming up right next. Welcome to the Dr. Pat Show. Talk radio to thrive by. Powerful, inspiring, and coming to you live, bringing you stories of people like you and me, busting through and living life full out. Get ready to dare to wonder what your life would be like if you knew you could not fail. Welcome, Transformation Talk Radio listeners. This is the Dr. Pat Show, but as you know, this is not Dr. Pat. (laughs) This is Ellen Stewart, the pushy broad from the Bronx, and I always have the pleasure of co-hosting with Dr. Pat on my show, Recovery Recharged, and today she has asked me to fill in for her. So we're doing a special episode of Recovery Recharged today, and boy, do I have an exciting show for you. You know, I've been working with Transformation Talk Radio and KKNW for the past year and a half, and what I bring to the table is a no-nonsense approach to getting well and transforming your life. And we talk in depth about the things that are really important to you, and today is no different, especially in the field of recovery and good health. I have an expert today that is going to talk to you and to me about two subjects that affect everybody, whether or not you are grappling with substance misuse or you're a family member struggling with that situation for a loved one. But in general, the two things that come to the table most often in the recovery process are two words that we know a lot about. The first word is shame, and the second word is guilt. How many times do you, during the day, say to yourself, I am so ashamed of something that I have done in the past, or something that I have said, or or you say to yourself, I wish I could have been a better parent. I'm so ashamed of the things I said, or maybe I drank too much and I'm ashamed, or I am so, I feel so guilty about the things that I've done and I don't know how to make amends. Shame and guilt paralyze us, take us down, and it's about time that we learned how to overcome those two things. So stay with us, TTR listeners, because we're going to talk about how to overcome those two negative emotions. So... I have a very special guest with me today. She's appeared on my podcast before, and now she's coming to TTR Live for the first time. I want to introduce somebody to you, and I really want to introduce her to you the way she describes herself, (laughs) which I love, and she's already excited about it. I'm introducing Melissa Rossiano, who is a licensed clinical social worker. She's been in private practice for the last 12 years, and she is passionate about partnering with helping professionals just like the Pushy Broad. She is an expert on shame and guilt, and she also provides a unique approach to her clients and works not only face-to-face, but in a a virtual platform situation. 
She's here with me today, and we're going to talk about the things that she's most passionate about. Also, you should know that she's an active, certified, daring way facilitator. And as we all know, that's based on the research of the illustrious Brene Brown. So, to introduce today to Transformation Talk Radio, the wonderful Melissa Rossiano. How are you, Melissa? Thanks for being with us. I am doing wonderful. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. Excited to be here. I really appreciate that. And I know that you're coming from uh, coming from us from Laguna Beach today, correct? Even mm-hmm. though you live in Pennsylvania? That is correct. Mm-hmm. Well, Thank you for sharing some of your vacation with us. But we're going to get right down to it because these two emotions of shame and guilt plague us forever. There's not a day goes by that we are not maybe shameful or guilty about something. So let's let's jump right in, okay? Based on your work, would you tell us the difference between shame and guilt? Absolutely. And I think that there's very a very clear differentiation is if I do something that I say I feel guilty that I was rude to somebody and I feel really badly about that because of this behavior, that is totally different from I am a horrible person because I said something rude to somebody. And shame is basically saying I am bad for whatever it is, fill in the blank. Whereas guilt is saying, um, I made a poor choice and I feel badly about it. And so it's whether you own it or you are able to differentiate from it. I see. So we're talking about the fact that when you feel guilty, it's a behavioral response, right? (laughs) Something that I did, as opposed to feeling shame, which is associated with something that I think I am. Is that correct? Correct. Correct. Absolutely. Well, Mm -hmm. that seems to be a very big internal process. Can we talk a little Mm -hmm. bit about that internal process? Absolutely. When shame is something that holds all of us captive, if we allow it to. Now, we're going to talk about tips and tricks of how to break out because there is a way. There's always hope. Um, But it holds us captive. And that's the only way we see ourselves is through that negative lens. And so then we start withdrawing from people. Well, the story we tell ourselves is they look at me the same way I feel. So I don't want to go out and associate with them. I don't want to socialize. So I'm going to start to isolate and pull back and start really telling myself a story of what this negative person I am. That's really very powerful. And you said something that's quite meaningful. And I want our listeners to understand that. You said when we're in shame, I look at myself or they look at me the way I feel. And that's a really astute observation, which means we can easily, and one of the ways that we can overcome this is to change our own personal narrative. Would you say that was the case? Absolutely. I couldn't have said it better. It's, um, I think one of the beauties of the work I do is, is trying to discover what is that story that individuals are telling themselves? What is that story? Um, and what is truth in that? And what is their version of truth? And once you can start rewriting that story, or maybe just writing the next chapter in a more positive way, you're turning that whole view around. You're right. And and we understand that because, again, something you just said, what's the truth in that and what's our version of the truth, mm-hmm. right? Correct. When I talk to my clients, I always talk about um, perceived 
situations and actual situations. What am I imagining and what is actually there? What's actually happening? So how do we change what I actually think I'm seeing and what actually is? What's some way to do that? One of the things that I typically do with individuals and myself, because I'm not immune to this either, is what is truth and what is fear? And fear, there's lots of acronyms for it. What I like to use is false evidence appearing real because it's what it's our version of how we're viewing something. And so if you can break down what is the truth in the story and what is my fear in the story, then we have something to work with because then we can start working on the fears so that your narrative is as truth-based as we can in our humanity. And that's a very interesting concept and something for us to work on. Mm -hmm. Let's talk a little bit about shame at this moment and the internal process. You have Mm -hmm. defined shame as the painful feeling arising from the consciousness of something dishonorable, improper, Mm -hmm. ridiculous, done by oneself or another. So Mm -hmm. this is a behavior that we have done, but we also describe it as a painful feeling. Can we talk Mm -hmm. a little bit about what that means how does that become, does it become physically painful, mentally painful? What have you seen with your clients? I think that shame can show up in every form or fashion. It can be a physical or a visceral response. A lot of people go to the gut. You know, for me, if I start getting nervous or upset about something, mine's a gut response. You know, for other people, it's migraines, it's headaches, it's heaviness in their chest. It's some of those um, anxiety-like symptoms that you have a racing heart rate, you just feel so pressured. Um, And so that is one way it shows up. It shows up in your thought process because when you're down that shame spiral, it is very easy to interpret every other movement through a shame lens. And so it's, it's kind of that snowball effect. Like once you're on the road, it's gonna continue and continue and continue and everything's gonna come in. And so when we really own the shame as a pain point, it impacts every aspect of our being, but also has the potential to impact all your relationships as well. It's interesting that you talk about it as a shame spiral because it's not just an isolated instance. Mm -hmm. In the recovery world, when my clients approach me and they say to me, I I feel so shameful about the behavior that I exhibited as an active alcoholic or an active addict and I hurt so many people and I did things that I really regret and I can seem to get out of that cycle you're right it does seem to affect everything else about them right they always feel less than feeling less than is that something that shame does quite a bit do you find it's really hand-in-hand with low self-esteem and low self-image Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, Because through that shame lens, it's, I did something badly. Um, There is something that I, as, as you said, when you read the definition was dishonorable in, well, that immediately goes to, well, I'm a bad person. I can't try to move past this. And so now your self-esteem, your self-concept, your self-image, which are like the trilogy of how our self-concept is, is really starting to deteriorate. 
Well, again, you talk about that spiral, and that spiral is always downward. So how do we put the brakes on examining what that shame is and beginning to rebuild from the inside? Yeah, it's an excellent, excellent question. I think when you you have um, complicated grief um, that sometimes fuels shame, you have complicated um, family history of trauma or even some post-traumatic stress that impact shame. And so if you've got a case that there's multiple layers, it's being able to peel back the layers of the onion to really find out what that core is to be able to to heal and kind of pull it together. Um, with somebody who is experiencing shame without the deep root of trauma attached, with that, you're able to go back and, okay, what is the truth in this? You know, what is mine to own as far as do I have to make amends to somebody for, for a wrong that I did? Or is this something that I just need to accept that I'm perfectly imperfect and I made a mistake like everybody else and to be able to process through that and have a more realistic view of self. So what you're basically saying and the work that we both do with our clients is to mm -hmm. define where this shame is coming from. Exactly. One of the biggest things and one of the biggest tricks and tips that I talk to in recovery and with my life coaching clients is it's not enough to say I'm ashamed. It's also not enough to say, I feel guilty or I feel afraid. It's not enough to say that because that in itself puts up that wall and we cannot go any further. Okay. Mm -hmm. If we're constantly in this spin cycle of I'm ashamed, I'm ashamed, or I'm guilty, I'm guilty or whatever, we don't go past that. We have to break down mm -hmm. the walls and sometimes there's a really big wall there. But we have to start mm -hmm. somewhere, right? We have to start somewhere. Mm -hmm. So what causes someone to live through that shame lens? And you you made reference to some of those things. Mm -hmm. Let's talk a little bit about how our family of origin may impact our sense of self and our sense of shame and guilt. Absolutely. And as a mama of an adult child, I always say, like, my gosh, she's going to bring me into a conversation sometime that says, because my mom did X, Y, and Z. But the reality is, is that our families kind of shape how we view mental health, how we view communication, how we view coping, how we view um, expression of emotions, all of those things. And so if you're in a family that emotions aren't validated and perfectionism is sought, sh your shame spiral is going to be pretty deep rooted. Okay. So can we go into just a little bit more detail about mm -hmm. that and, mm -hmm. and tell me exactly what you mean? Can you give us an example of that? Absolutely. So if you're in a family of origin that um, it's all about image and what this outside image is and inside the house, we yell and scream, you know, no abuse, but just a lot of yelling and screaming and toxic relationships. But as soon as we walk outside the house, you know, we're the picture perfect family. Everybody's quaffed and perfect, perfect grades. And now all of a sudden, um, somebody ends up with an addiction or a pregnancy or they fail a class or they get in a car accident that shatters that family image so for all those years it's been instilled 
this is what our family is when we walk outside this door. And now you shattered that image and you should feel shameful about that. And that's typically, sometimes it's directly conveyed and other times it's very indirectly stated that that person now is on the outsides because they shattered that image and that shame is deep rooted. So even if that happened in adolescence, that's something you're going to repeat in adulthood without changing the dance. And that also holds true for guilt, wouldn't you say? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And you define guilt as a feeling of responsibility or remorse for some offense, crime, or wrongdoing, whether it's real or imagined. And it's really mm-hmm. interesting that you say whether it's real or imagined. Let's give, give us examples about how guilt could be either real or imagined. Well, real guilt is going to be that you really, truly crossed somebody's boundaries, you know, created harm, not physical harm, but emotional harm to somebody else, or even you stole something from them. Um, And so it's very concrete, like, yeah, I did that act. Imagined, you know, an imagined offense is I really hurt their feelings. Um, even though that's just the story you're telling yourself, or I feel guilty that I didn't show up to that event because um, I was too stuck and I was in my withdrawing sort of phase and wanting to isolate, but everybody understood, but that's not the story I'm telling myself. So that's where the guilt becomes imagined because it's that storytelling line. And it's the same with shame as well. So real Mm -hmm. and imagined shame and guilt has the same effect, does it not? It absolutely has the same effect. Um, I think for some reasons, shame hits us at a deeper pain point because even though feeling guilt, like you had said initially, is behavioral, you know, the shame is like that deep core of our being. And it's almost like this disgust of, I am just so disgusted. I feel shameful about my choices that how could anybody else see me any different? It also seems to permeate in a way that affects everything. So if you have shame about one thing, mm-hmm. let's say you've done something to somebody, maybe an active addiction that you feel really bad about, it, you feel guilty about, and you feel like it makes you less than, or the fact mm-hmm. that you are drinking a lot, or you have a problem with mm-hmm. eating, or you have mm-hmm. a problem with, with spending too much, or anything mm-hmm. that constitutes an addiction, you feel that that's something you should feel feel shameful about and the more you feel shameful about something that is an obvious addiction or an obvious disease that permeates into everything else you feel shameful about so it's not only the drinking problem or the eating problem or the addiction problem but it's everything else about me that I should feel shameful about And that's something that my clients come to me with all the time. So one of the things I tell them, which really, really helps, is really to separate where that shame is coming from. Meaning, whose tapes am I playing? Mm -hmm. Is this something that my parents taught me? Like you just said, family of origin. Was this passed down because I have to save face? Is this something that I'm just feeling internally that, Mm -hmm. that I'm not getting any feedback for? But I really have to identify why these negative emotions are in place, correct? Absolutely. And I use the term a lot, inner critic. 
Um, and we all have an inner critic. Um, those who fall more on the perfectionist side of things tend to have a very loud inner critic. Um, and with that inner critic, with a little bit of exploration, usually we can pinpoint whose voice that is. Sometimes it's your mom. Sometimes it was a coach from middle school that was just so critical. And it's that voice that you carry on until you find ways to kind of say, yeah, no, I don't, I don't want to engage with my inner critic anymore. But the inner critic also perpetuates that shame because it's that little voice that says, yep, you should feel really badly about that because you're, you're this horrible person for making these choices. You're right. And it's not only that, it's not only identifying the voice that is giving you all of these negative emotions, but when you can identify it, you no longer have to own it as your own belief. Correct. And that's something that really works in, in learning how to get through recovery. We've done a lot of things maybe in active addiction that we're not proud of, but we also know that part of that is because of the disease of the addiction, we didn't choose to be this way. And as we learn to recover, we also understand what we can be responsible for. Mm-hmm. You know, I always tell my clients that we're going to make a lot of mistakes in life, but the whole idea here is to make new mistakes. Not to make the same old mistakes over and over again. And that's one of the ways that we can start to overcome our shame and our guilt, right? So we're building on our self-esteem. We want to build our self-image and build our confidence level. And also note some of the cultural stereotypes and family of origin stuff that come with the reason we feel guilt and shame, right? (laughs) I want to talk about two things that are really popular in the guilt and shame department. The first one is called the imposter syndrome and why (laughs) that gets us into that spiral. And the second one I want to talk about, and you touched on it before, is the perfectionism. That's a big deal. So why don't we start with what the imposter syndrome is and how it affects our guilt and shame quotient? Absolutely. And the imposter syndrome is one of those terms that's become awful trendy. And I'm not typically a very trendy person. Like, let me use the the new latest lingo. Um, But it's what's known. And so that's what we're going to utilize. But basically, the imposter syndrome is somebody who feels like they are acting a certain way, portraying a role that really, truly, if somebody saw behind the mask, kind of like the Wizard of Oz, you know, if they saw behind the curtain, like they would be shocked at what that person truly was. And so every single day they live feeling like they're a fraud, that they don't follow, they're a hypocrite. They don't practice what they preach. You know, they're excellent at what they do, um, but their life is falling apart. And that's where that shame really just fuels because it's just constantly reminding them you do this every day, but if they really truly knew who you were at the core, they wouldn't respect you as much as they do. Or they wouldn't love you enough. Exactly. They really Mm -hmm. saw you for who you were. You wouldn't measure up. Absolutely. How many times have we seen that, especially in the world today with all of the celebrities and all of the social media, we, we project a persona that mm-hmm. is larger than life. 
And we're also concerned about the fact that if somebody really knew me for who I was, it wouldn't be good enough. We wouldn't measure up. So how do we begin to dispel and break down the imposter syndrome and get rid of the shame and guilt surrounding that? Um, That is a very loaded question because there's so (laughs) many different levels to it. Um, But I think we're all experts in our own right, in our own fields, and definitely in our own stories. And one of, to throw another buzzword out, um, is like, figuring out what your authentic self is. What are your core values? Who are you at the core? Authentically, who do you want to be? Because imposter syndrome is living behind a mask. It's living behind a mask of what you think everybody else wants you to be. Now, that may be who you want to be as well, but that isn't your motive initially. And so really trying to peel back those layers and say, okay, is this my image? Or am I truly somebody else at the core? And once you can make sense of that, then it makes it easier to say, okay, this is truly who I am and I'm going to be authentically imperfect. And that's okay. And sometimes that's extremely hard for us, right? Oh my gosh. We spend a lot of our lives trying to get to our authentic self. There's no question. But if you find yourself and sometimes in, you know, doing the recovery work that I do and the life coaching work that I do, I sit in front of clients all day long that still have not decided who they actually are, what their priorities are, what comes first. How many times they put other people first in their lives? How many times their thoughts and their feelings and their opinions and all of their negativity gleans from someone else's opinion of them? Mm-hmm. And we sit here over and over again waiting for someone to understand that you have an opportunity in your lifetime to mm-hmm. live your authentic self that your feelings and your thoughts and your actions belong to you and you're entitled to have those feelings that are only yours. At any age. At any age, Mm -hmm. no matter Mm -hmm. what. I sit here with clients that are adolescent to clients that are, you know, that are older, um, way older than, than, um, than the normal retiree Mm -hmm. and they all come out with the same thing when am i going to live my authentic life so i want to continue this with you and we're going to talk about how we really can break down shame and guilt and we're going to talk about that how that affects burnout and how we can get unstuck in our lives and put some positivity back in our lives and make sure that we are living our best life completely free of shame and guilt so please stay with us because i have more with the pushy broad and melissa rossiano when we come back from break. Champion your life with me, Leanne Champion. First Wednesdays at 1 p.m. Pacific time on transformationtalkradio.com. That new gym membership might help you get fit, but what about emotional fitness? Jump into the rushing waters of personal growth. Don't waste another minute feeling unfulfilled. Visit championyourlife.com and let's do this together. Hi, I'm Trish Laub from A Cup of Comfort, where we talk about Care Hero topics that nobody wants to talk about. Here's your Care Hero tip of the day. 
During all Care Hero journeys, the need to keep track of a lot of information arises, some of it critical. Possibly the greatest challenge Care Heroes face is the gathering and organizing of information. Just as every trade has a power tool, whether an electric drill or a laptop, my family's Care Hero power tool was the three ring binder. We generated a mini library of labeled three ring binders, one for each category of information complemented with additional spiral notebooks used to detail medical appointments and episodes. This unfussy and convenient system of binders helped my family stay organized and able to deliver the dignified care and end of life my parents desired. Tune into my show to learn more. See you on the second and fourth Tuesday of the month at 12 Pacific here on Transformation Talk Radio. Feel free to reach out to me at info at the truth is funny. Shift Happens with Colette Marie Steffen is excited to welcome Karen Benton as a monthly guest host. Tune in on the third Wednesday of each month at 8 a.m. Pacific time to regain confidence and trust in your capacity to create change in your life, your health, your family, and your well-being. Karen Benton is a mother, nurse practitioner, certified body talk practitioner, Franklin Method instructor, and owner of Limitless Living LLC. For more information about Karen, visit karenbenton.com. Have you known that you're on a soul path, but often wondered why you don't have the insight of how to go from here to there, or whether or not what you're doing is going to take you to where you want to go in your soul's journey? Damayante is a show for your soul. Damayante speaks to your soul, connects with your soul, and shines a light for your soul. Damayante, the show for your soul with Sarah Main, brings you insights and a pathway to your soul's journey on TransformationTalkRadio.com. Have you ever felt like if you just had the right tools and resources, you'd be able to carve a path toward the life your heart is aching for? Guess what? You have everything you need inside you. I'm Natasha Ornedo, and I'm here to show you that your healing is in your hands. Tune into my show, Unlock the Healing Path every second and fourth Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific on TransformationTalkRadio.com. To learn more about me and my work, visit NatashaOrdnedo.com. Welcome back, Transformation Talk Radio listeners. I'm Ellen Stewart, the pushy broad from the Bronx, and I am sitting in for the illustrious Dr. Pat today, and we have a great show, my Recovery Recharge show, which is here to talk to you today about two things that affect all of us, and that is shame and guilt and how to overcome it. And I have my special guest, Melissa Rossiano, LCSW, who is here from Laguna Beach, California, talking to us us about how to get through those two nagging negative emotions that constantly take us down. So before we continue, Melissa, would you tell people how to reach you? Because I know you're taking virtual appointments. Can we talk about that briefly? Absolutely. Um, They can just go to my website. They can learn more about me, what I do, kind of where I come from. And right from the website, they can email me or even schedule a complimentary consultation appointment. And that is melissarusiano.com. And I'd love to speak with anybody, even answer any questions that people may have about resources. So Fantastic. And for the rest of the our session here today, for the next half hour, if you have a question about shame and guilt to either myself or Melissa, it's a call-in show today. You can call 800-930-2819 and we'd be happy to help you and answer your question. Okay, that's 800-930-2819 for the next half hour. 
So, Melissa, we've been talking about the fact that shame and guilt can be overcome, and there are many, many reasons why we get involved in shame and guilt. And one of these reasons is this big word that we hear all the time, especially from women, and that is perfectionism. So let's talk about that a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I tell people all the time I'm a recovering perfectionist. And my best friends look at me and they're like, are you sure you're recovered? And I said, it's a daily, it's a daily choice. Um, but with perfectionism, it's, it's basically every single day, no matter what you do, it's not good enough. And I can do it better. I can try harder. If I just drink a little more caffeine, I can have a better productivity. I can be a better mom. I can be the Pinterest mom. I can, I can, I can. And it's such an unrealistic standard that I haven't met anybody yet who's been able to meet that then it triggers the shame because in my mind, back when it was more um, debilitating for me, um, and even in my clients' minds, their expectations aren't unrealistic because of what you said a little bit ago, um, what they see on social media. Well, so-and-so is doing it. Well, so-and-so got a perfect photo after 50 screaming ones, <laughs> and it's airbrushed through five different filters, and she has a trainer and a cook and a this. So really, how realistic is that? Exactly. And you know, I find that when I sit in front of parents, mm -hmm. parents say to me, I should have talked to my son or daughter in a better way. I want to mm -hmm. make sure I'm the perfect parent. Mm -hmm. And if I fall short of that, then I feel guilty. I feel guilty if I give them too much. If I feel guilty, if I give them too little, I feel guilty if because I'm responsible for their addiction, I get that a great deal. How many parents sit in front of me and say, if I did something better, if I, if I raised them better, or if I, if I gave them more discipline, or I looked out for them more, then they wouldn't have this addiction. They wouldn't be addicted to drugs. They wouldn't be addicted to alcohol. And all of these things spiral into big shame and guilt. I need to be, have been more perfect Correct. and perfectionism is the number one thing when it comes to shame and guilt so how do we start breaking down and changing the way we think about perfectionism and it work for you that's a great question I think for me, doing what I'm doing and being on this quest to want to practice what I preach, have some authenticity and kind of be that real clinician who's not going to violate boundaries, but also is going to show up and just be me, which means I'm not everybody's cup of tea, um, but that's okay because I'm authentically me and also going through and realizing the the energy it takes to constantly try to reach that golden ring that I'm never going to reach. Um, and with clients, with friends, with colleagues, I think normalizing that what they're feeling is real and that there is this common humanity around it and saying, you're not the only one who feels that way. It's almost like giving them permission to kind of take that step back and say, oh, okay, your house looks like that too. Uh, yeah, mm -hmm, it does. Um, and so, okay, so mine doesn't have to be perfect either. 
And in the world of recovery, the things that I say to my clients and my parents are, number one, you are not responsible for your husband or your wife's addiction or your child's addiction. You're not responsible for that. Addiction is a disease. You can't cure it. You can't stop it. You can't prevent it. You didn't cause it. Understanding that somebody that lives in the perfect world still thinks they have control over everything, just like you said. If I am perfect, that means I can control everything around me understanding that you can't control everything around you and even more than that it's a great relief not to be able to control everything around you and you said that because you said it's exhausting to try to be perfect all the time oh my gosh yes. giving yourself permission not to be perfect is a greater relief than anything else and it's the first way to start some positive impacts mm-hmm. in your life mm-hmm. wouldn't you say Absolutely. Absolutely. Because I have not met a perfect person yet. And even if they appear perfect, you know, and I I get a lot of this with women and weight loss, you know, they were told growing up, like you're getting a little chunky, you should slim down, or you shouldn't wear that it makes you look heavy. And so they're constantly seeking that perfect weight. And I think the quest with perfection is, if I am perfect, I am okay. And the reality is, if you reach that perfect number, that perfect house, that perfect husband, that perfect fill in the blank, that doesn't necessarily mean you're happy and you're okay. You're exactly right. It doesn't necessarily translate into an emotion. And I really do believe that perfect is a moving target. And because it's a moving target, there is no sense in striving for it. Mm -hmm. What we strive to do is to live a life that is in peace, balance, and serenity on a daily basis. And that has nothing to do with perfectionism. Absolutely. And when we talk about perfect in regard to shame and guilt, we're also talking about self-image, self-identity, and self-confidence. Wouldn't you say all those three things? And they fuel it. And it's kind of like they all work in tandem of each other. And, you know, like this big bowl of spaghetti and you have all of these different strands and it can be um, zucchini or zoodles for the no carb folks, but you don't know what's attached to what, but it's all intertwined. And so if the perfectionism is there, the shame is there. The shame is there, the self-esteem, the self-confidence is there. And because of all that, one impacts the other and we never know where the beginning and the end is until we start pulling it apart and saying, okay, this strand is shame-based, which impacted this strand, which is self-confidence. And it's very, it's a doable thing. It seems daunting, but it's very doable to be able to say, okay, we can pull these apart. We can get to the origin and we can give you some of that energy back so you can thrive. And also understanding that we have to do things one step at a time. Absolutely. That it is not, it's not our mission to take down the whole wall all at once, right? It's to mm-hmm. pry away, you know, away at it. Also understanding that what happens with guilt and shame, as far as I'm concerned, is stuff that has happened in the past. I feel guilty about something that I did before, or I'm ashamed of something that has happened. So if we mm-hmm. realize that we can't change the past, 
and we can't worry mm -hmm. about a future that hasn't come yet. And all mm -hmm. we have at the moment is what we have in the present. It's easier to handle mm -hmm. what's right in front of us than think, oh my God, I have to change my whole life and I have to change everything I am and I have to atone for everything I've done before. Correct? Mm -hmm. It seems a little Correct. overwhelming that way. Right. Mm -hmm. So you also talk about um, showing up and shrinking back. How does that relate mm -hmm. to guilt and shame? Well, when you're feeling um, very shameful, and, and I like to call it the shame bubble sometimes because you want to isolate yourself. You really don't want anybody in that bubble because you don't want them to see your true self. And you kind of stay in the shame bubble. And with that, it's... Um, you know, you almost feel your body shrinking in because I want to shrink in. I want to shrink back. I don't want people to see me. I don't want to, I don't want to be known. And because of that, you might um, decline events, or if you go to events, you're going to be in the corner. Um, and you're not going to want to engage because if you engage, they're going to see you through that shame lens that you've created. Okay, which isn't true, but that's that's the truth you're living in. So what's showing up all about? So showing up is being able to say like, hey, I am who I am. And it doesn't have to be, I'm not a huge fan of fake it till you make it, but I'm a fan of the philosophy behind that. Like sometimes you got to push yourself out to be uncomfortably comfortable that it's uncomfortable for you but it's working towards what you want and you're able to show up and say yeah this is me you know hey i just tripped going up that stage before i had a talk which fyi i did a couple of weeks ago and i was like yep i did i tripped and it's okay and i'm still going to give my talk and and it is who i am and i'm not going to feel ashamed that i tripped um because i'm choosing to show up and say that's a natural human response when you're clumsy. <laughs> <laughs> right. So if you're showing up, does it really matter who you're hanging out with in the process? Yes and no. If you want to show up and have positive reinforcement and want this to be sort of empowering for you, then you've got to be with people who are what I like to call your tribe, your supporters, people that are like-minded. If you show up with people who are engaging behaviors that you're trying to move away from, who are very negative, cynical, they're not truly who you are, they're not your people, all that's going to do is, you know, encourage those feelings of rejection because you're going to be like, gosh, I'm showing up and they're shunning me. Well, they're shunning you because you're not doing their dance. And so, you know, you can show up and be yourself wherever. And I encourage people to do that all the time. But as you're first trying out new skills, you want some positive reinforcement and empowerment. And so to be able to show up with people that, you know, you know, they're your people, they got your back. 
Yes, and don't do not sit in judgment of you. Exactly. And even if you, yes, and even if you're introverted in today's world, there are so many other ways to show up. I mean, now that we're becoming, you know, out a little bit more, and and because more people are vaccinated, things are beginning to open up a little bit. We've been able to do some positive interaction on a personal level, one to one, face to face. But there are still so many groups and so many things happening virtually for people that. Um, that allow you to open up without having the same kind of feelings you would in terms of being hung up about how your interaction is with another human being. So you have to take advantage of those things, right? Absolutely. So I noticed that you have created an acronym that will mm-hmm. help us in terms of solutions and tips and tricks. So let's focus on that. You you've have something here called REST, R-E-S-T. Mm-hmm. Can you talk mm-hmm. about that for us? Absolutely. And this is um, come from a lot of my growth and work, but also my work with clients is that every single time I would go to my physician, the first question, how much rest are you getting? And I'm like, oh, plenty. And he's like, what's plenty? And I was like, oh, just plenty. Don't worry about it. And um, but really doing a lot of research on the impact of sleep and rest on your mental health, on your physical health, on your brain health and saying, okay, so how could we make this a little bit more fun? Um, Because acronyms are always fun, but to be able to say, if you break it down, is that you wanna make sure you have some relaxation because if you're always in this fast paced society and you have no time to relax, you have no time to reflect on what mask are you putting out there? Are you living in a shame bubble? Are you um, associating with people that really aren't like-minded and as a result are kind of keeping you in this shrinking backstage? So that's the first step. And then the second with the E is exploration and looking at, okay, so, you know, who am I? And not in this crazy philosophical like way, but in a way that allows you to figure out, okay, what are my core beliefs? What are my core strengths? Who am I at the core? And then use that for your foundation moving forward. Um, The S goes with strengths. Um, So being able to say like, okay, I'm a super giving person. Um, And so how can I give without being taken advantage of, but how can I give so that I can feel better about me? Um, That could be one of your strengths. One of your strengths could be that you're super organized and then you're more than welcome to come to my house and organize it for me. (laughs) Um, And then last but not least is to have a tribe and Um, just to have some people. It could be one person, it could be two people, it could be four or five people. It does not need to be any bigger than that. Um, But people that are your go-to walk through fire people, however, they're also the people that are gonna hold you accountable and tell you like it is. So they're not yes people. They're people who truly have your best interests at heart, which means sometimes they tell you things you really don't wanna hear. 
So your acronym really works in terms of combating shame and guilt. Are you getting enough relaxation? That's the R word. Are you beginning to explore who you are and what you actually want, which is really good, kind of getting in the middle there. Mm -hmm. Where does that shame and guilt come from? Are you playing your tapes? Are you getting that from your past? Are you getting that from somebody in your family? Are your friends giving this to you? Is it your core value? And then S for strengths. I like that a lot. I would rather work on my strengths. And I tell my clients, we work on our strengths rather than our liabilities. I want to know what's good about you. And we're going to work to absolutely increase our strengths rather than just look at our weaknesses. I don't think Mm -hmm. people can be measured by their weaknesses. They should always strive to do better in terms Mm -hmm. of what their strengths are. And then again, who are your peeps, right? Who do you Mm -hmm. hang out with? Mm -hmm. Who are the people that are going to be around you and support you? And in the world of recovery, we say unconditional support. Absolutely. Who are the people that are going to love you, even though sometimes they don't like you very much? (laughs) (laughs) And even though sometimes you screw up. Mm -hmm. Exactly. But they're not judging you for who you are Mm -hmm. and what you are and know that they're going to be there for you no matter what. And Mm -hmm. even if that's just one other person, Mm -hmm. it doesn't matter. Exactly. Someone to validate you and to let you know that it's okay to Mm -hmm. be imperfect it's okay to be exactly who you are absolutely and and i do want to add super quick is that everybody has strengths sometimes you have to dig a little deeper but absolutely everybody has strengths so if anyone's listening and says but there is nothing good about me absolutely everybody has strengths so let's say somebody is stuck Okay, mm-hmm. they're stuck. They don't think they don't think they can get past their shame or guilt. They don't mm-hmm. think they can get past their inner critic, and they're always thinking about the imposter syndrome, mm-hmm. and they're always trying to be perfect. How do you advise your clients to get unstuck? Yeah, getting unstuck is such um, it's such this very exhilarating process. And I think the first part of getting unstuck is to start to dream. And when people are stuck in a shame spiral, if they're stuck in guilt, if they're stuck in a negative self-image and an inner critic that's just beating them down, it's to be able to start dreaming and saying, okay, what is it that I truly want and need? What is it, where do I wanna be? Like, who do I wanna be? I think you're right about the dream cycle. And just to add to that a little bit, one can dream what it would be like to be beyond the spiral of shame and guilt. Absolutely. Right? We don't have to live Mm -hmm. like this. Mm -hmm. So the first thing that I tell all of my clients in recovery and all of the people that are working with people who are striving to be in recovery is there is something beyond what I am going through. I do not have to live this way forever. I do have choices. And maybe if I'm choosing to stay stuck, that in itself is a choice, which means there is something else. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And when I understand that there's something else, that's the first step in Mm -hmm. hope. Wouldn't you Mm -hmm. say? Absolutely. Because I think when people feel like there isn't another option, 
then it becomes, well, here, yeah, I'm stuck. This is my life. You know, I just wasn't graced with all these fabulous things. But as soon as you can shift it to this isn't the be all and the end all, this is a choice. Then all of a sudden you could remain stuck, but it changes that mindset to be like, okay, but it's a choice. It's a choice. I could choose differently as well. Exactly. And it's not going to be this way forever. And as we know, things change all the time. The one constant here is the fact that things change. Mm -hmm. So if they're still stuck and they have no place to go and they don't know how to get out of it, when is the time you think somebody should ask for help and where should they go? Um, I think at any point in time in that continuum, you can ask for help. And there's informal help going to a peer, a mentor, a family member. And then there's more formalized help, a therapist, a coach, you know, a clergy member, somebody along those ways. But if you're feeling stuck, I think, why not today? You know, to start having those conversations, because if you wait until there's a crisis or until a decision-making point, then there's going to be pressure and all this emotional charged, you know, thought process going on that you're not going to have that time to do that exploration that you really need and want to do. So for me, no time's like the present because life is too short to live stuck. We have been able, especially through this time of COVID, to be able to look at the stuff that we have online and see all of the things that are available to us when it comes to treatment and to health Mm -hmm. and to therapy. On top of which, we don't necessarily have to sit face to face with someone that will help us. And we can take advantage Mm -hmm. of that, whether it's the pushy broad from the Bronx and you are in Mm -hmm. California or you're overseas, Mm -hmm. or whether Mm -hmm. it's Melissa Rossiano and her uh, web uh, website and the help that she's offering, whether she is back in Pennsylvania or whether she is vacationing in Laguna Beach, <laughs> you're always available. So let's talk about again how people can find you and where they can get in touch with you, Melissa. Absolutely. Uh, MelissaRussiano.com. And through there, they can schedule a complimentary uh, call just so we can do a little meet and greet and see if we're a good fit. Um, or even just schedule a session to start chatting and diving in. Um, But most importantly, my goal is to make sure people are connected and educated and know that there is hope. You don't have to live in the shame bubble. You don't have to live stuck. And so if I can provide resources, connections, links, um, or work with you and partner with you, I just really want people to understand that you don't have to settle. And that's wonderful. And I so appreciate your coming on board today and remembering Melissa's words, you are not stuck. There is always a way out for you. Remembering her best acronym, rest, relaxation, exploration, strength, and tribe. Find your tribe. 
always know that the Pushy Broad from the Bronx is here for you as well. And I am still doing 20 minutes free sessions based on my website, pushybroadfromthebronx.com and my 800 number, 800-889-1757. I am so thrilled to be here. Uh, I know Dr. Pat will be joining us next time on her show. I thank you so much, Melissa, for being here. You've been a great help to us. Thank you. And knowing that shame and guilt can be a thing of the past. Thank you so much, guys. Take care.